triangle of terror. It's 11.59 at Radio Free America, and this is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song. And welcome, everybody, to our Daily Gun Show. We come to you live every weeknight at midnight Eastern, and we talk about guns for about an hour or so. Each day of the week, we have a different topic. And on Mondays, our topic is motivation for Second Amendment activists. And we try, whenever possible, to bring somebody on and talk to them. And uh, in between times, try to offer tips, tricks, uh, how to use the tools, the techniques, and the systems and the communities and the collaborations and everything we have available to us in 2022 as a Second Amendment activist. So today we have Charles Heller, a good friend of mine, person, one of the couple of people who got me interested in Second Amendment activism at all in the first place. Back in the early 2000s, he became uh, integral in making me aware of it. And by 2015, uh, was almost single-handed responsibly for me just deciding to go 100% into activism. So uh, I don't know if he did that intentionally or not, but I know that Charles tries to lead by a good example. Um, he's a radio show host. He's uh, an activist. He's a, um, a CCW instructor, an author probably, somewhere along the way, and a uh, heck of a good friend. So you were on with the, well, I guess one of the gigs that you've done since 2002 is record the audio of the Gun Rights Policy Conference, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point tonight. And uh, somewhere along the way there, you got invited to be on the Polite Society podcast weekly bullet this Saturday, and that got us chatting with each other again after a while. So we said, hey, and we arranged to chat tonight. So I asked Charles if he would chat tonight about two things. One is going to be Arizona Citizens Defense League, which is an organization that we'll chat about a little bit here. And then we'll wrap up the second half of the conversation talking about how to be an activist in 2022. So uh, I hope everyone appreciates who we've got with us tonight. And I know we've talked plenty of times in the past. It's always frustrating, and you must deal with this more than I have. When you have an audience, you never know how long the audience has been around and what they are familiar with and who's new and that kind of thing. So in an effort to not assume too much, um, can we take a couple minutes and maybe let you give an elevator speech? Something similar maybe what you did on Saturday to let people know who you are, Charles? Thanks for showing up, by the way. Can you hear me? Yep, now we can hear you. Okay, good. Uh, do you mean who I am or who AZCDL is? Let's start with just briefly for who Charles Heller is for people that might not be familiar. I'm 65. I'm originally from Chicago. I came to Tucson 40, 44 years ago, and I was a political refugee for the right to keep and bear arms from Chicago. I would gladly have registered a gun when I was a young idiot, and... Uh, and so you could have any handgun you wanted in Chicago as long as it was registered. But if you try to register one, they wouldn't accept it. 
that's eventually what the uh, uh, McDonald versus City of Chicago lawsuit ended was the scam that you could own any gun you wanted as long as it was registered, but they wouldn't take your registration. That scam was finally canceled in 2008, but long after I'd come to Arizona. And uh, I came here when I was 21, and I was uh, originally just an enthusiast. First thing I did when I got to Arizona was buy a gun, and I was 21, and I could do that, and I did. <clears throat> and uh, gee, I had to carry it everywhere because you know that's what we Arizonans did. And uh, finally, I realized I didn't need to open carry a hog leg everywhere I went. <laughs> so. Uh, I grew up, and uh, I've had several businesses here in Tucson. I was in the ad specialty business, and I got into, and for a little while, I drove a crew bus for the railroad, just for about six months, till they got tired of me, and I got tired of them about at the same time, and about that time, I got into radio in 1999, uh, first starting the swap shop, and then two years later, swap shop is a local buy, sell, and tra trade radio program, and then two Two years later, starting Liberty Watch and then America Armed and Free, Liberty Watch about being about so that government remains servant, not master, and America Armed and Free about things with a muzzle, a nozzle, or a blade, and taking the position that if you want an informed public, you need good information that doesn't put them to sleep. I even make the commercials myself. I do uh, not all the voices, of course, but I do the commercial production, and I've been on the radio for 24 years now, and uh, 22 years with Swap Shop and Liberty Watch and 24 years was with, excuse me, 22 years was uh, Liberty Watch and America Armed and Free and 24 years was Swap Shop. How did in 2002 you started doing the audio for the Gun Rights Policy Conference? What was the beginnings or the origins of that? Oh, Wayne LaPierre was a speaker and he screamed at the microphone, damn near deafening everybody in the room. And I approached Alan Gottlieb and said, look, I'm a, I'm a recording tech and uh, I'll gladly run the audio so that never happens again. Or if you prefer, I'll just not come. <laughs> and I said, if you're going to have people screaming at the microphone, you need somebody to turn it down. And I tried valiantly during Wayne's speech to turn his level down, but I couldn't get to the, where the, the controls were buried in the inside of the hotel and I couldn't get to him because he was literally, I actually listened to that speech with my, uh, range earplugs in because of how loud Wayne was screaming at the mic. I mean, it just, the man had no consciousness whatsoever of how to talk to an audience. Anyway, um, I fixed that. The next year I started doing the audio and dag damn it, if everybody didn't hear every word clearly, hmm, and nobody got blown out of their seat. And I've been doing it ever since. Now I'm kind of the, this year, starting this year, I'll be the junior guy on the sound. Uh, Paul, um, Paul from Polite Society podcast will be kind of running the, the audio and, and and the running the visual and the audio will be underneath him. I'll actually be at the same table. In years past, we've been separated all the way across the venue, but now I'll be uh, sitting at the same table with him. And just to mention it, because tech has changed over the years, originally you were recording it not, not just adjusting the levels while it was live like you described but also recording it and then offering the recordings as a cd and i can remember yeah, I you with doing the cds and you would ship the cds to people and then eventually it turned into thumb drives and i think now you probably put it up now so i just post them on my website yeah <laughs> so yeah 
So, so additionally, so even since 2002-ish, or at least, you know, since the early 2000s, people didn't even have to attend the gun rights policy. They could just listen and hear the, the thing. So let's get, that's the gun right policy conference. And that's, I guess I asked because I, I just don't remember if I've ever asked before how the origin of that came out. That's interesting to hear. But um, the reason I had you on is Arizona Citizens Defense League, an organization that has been around since, what, 2000? 2005. 2005. And, by okay, that's even different. So by, they started. you started by sitting in a Waffle House in Phoenix, a bunch of people, four um, guys, five guys. Five in diner, but, yeah, close enough. A little classier than Waffle House, but uh, maybe not as good. Sitting in a know, restaurant, maybe, though, eating breakfast, better. having a discussion. Five years later, through some efforts, we have constitutional carry in Arizona, the second state to do constitutional carry in front of everybody else. Mm -hmm. And now, what does it feel like being one of the founders of Arizona Citizens Defense League? And now that would have been 2005. And here we are just barely 15, 13 years later, and 25 states have constitutional carry. Now, 99% of those people don't realize that the Virginia Citizens Defense League created Arizona Citizens Defense League, and then the actions of the Arizona Citizens Defense League created the momentum that got us to where we are today. But what does it feel like being one of the four or five guys that started the whole thing? Well, I'll tell you that in a minute, but one thing I got to correct, the Virginia Citizens Defense League did not create the Arizona Citizens Defense League. Well, I should I, I didn't want to say it that way, but they were the blueprint. You guys effectively oh, yeah. took they their concept and ran. We took their bylaws. And but then, they certainly uh, didn't say begat a new organization. You no, guys no. just said we should have something like that and said, let's do right. this. And that came mostly through Fred Dank, who was our found, one of our four founders and our original treasurer. And uh, he basically had been an executive member of, uh, of VCDL, and he had a copy of their bylaws, and that's what we used to craft ours. We changed them quite a bit over the years. Ironically, at Gun Rights Policy Conference in 2000. Uh, it's about 2008 or 9 or 10, when the one that was in Virginia, anyway, uh, the secretary, the then secretary of VCDL, while I was secretary of AZCDL, came up to me and said, listen, we've lost, we can't find our bylaws. Can you send yours to us? And so I did. <laughs> and now their bylaws are ours. <laughs> With some, awesome. with I'm sure some changes over the years. <laughs> so, but um, to go back to your other question about uh, what does it feel like? Well, I'll tell you. Um, last Sunday, a week ago, I was at the gun show. I went over there and I sat and I, I walked in and sat at the AZCDL booth. And the, this was Tucson the, show, right? Yeah, the Tucson show. Yeah, at the Expo Center, and the two guys sitting there said, "Hey, what are you doing in our booth?" I said, well, I'm sitting here. <laughs> and they said, well, who are you? <laughs> and I said, hi, I'm Charles Heller. I'm the co-founder. And they went, oh, you're Charles Heller. I always wanted to meet you. <laughs> so Crazy. I, I came fairly close to getting thrown out. <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. what well, Duke's not there, I'm guessing, obviously. Uh, Duke was... I think visiting the head or something or, or okay. Roman or something. And he left the two volunteers in charge and they, they damn near pitched me out. So it was kind of fun. Um, well, I know, think I, that story, that, that story is indicative of the fact that you guys don't walk around with big signs that say, Hey, remember I'm the guy that started this or I'm one of the five guys, you know, we're the guys we sit at a table and everybody has to 
bow down. Right? There's none of that. Nobody would know who you are unless yeah, you knew who you nobody, are. nobody. I don't require anyone to kiss the ring. In fact, I never even wear a ring. But you know, the thing is, is that uh, I, technically, when we sit at the table, I mean, I'm on the. I am not on the board of directors anymore. I am an officer of the AZCDL because I'm their communications officer, but I am not a board member. So I don't have any, I don't have any, any uh, rulemaking authority or, or rule deciding authority, but people have a tendency to listen to me because, well, I'm one of the four, I'm, you know, 25% of the original members and people have some level of respect or uh, or i won't say reverence but uh, well understanding have, of the wisdom that you've you, you haven't been sitting around watching the rest of the time you've been active so yeah yeah i don't know wisdom may be too tall a word but at least i've got experience <laughs> okay so, anyway but what's uh, the difference but, between wisdom and experience experience wisdom is experience with failures yeah with with, with screwing it up and, and having to yeah. figure it out how to do it right and so I've just made more mistakes than a lot of people. And uh, in fact, when I was a radio producer for Bert Lee, he used to call me the man of a thousand fingers. And uh, so I've, I've tried not to live down to that reputation. But sooner or later, I've, I've made most mistakes that a human being can make, those that weren't fatal anyway. So, you know, but uh, other people can benefit from that experience of what not to do. So. Always, yeah. hopefully. And that's what I really appreciate about uh, any of the organizations, most of the organizations we got, I guess not all of them, but the ones that were based off of let's do this openly and let's do this um, as a group and not just as a membership organization or something where everything's behind board meetings and stuff. Uh, so there's always been like awareness of what the organization's doing and uh, we have the annual meetings, so I'm not sure which way to go. So I, I would say if you had, we've got another, you know, if we're going to sit here for an hour, if we've got another 20-something good solid minutes to talk about AZCDL, what about AZCDL, if there's anything, do you think is um, worth or important in 2022 or important in the election cycle or just important well, in the lifetime of the organization? We don't work in the election realm. We don't um, endorse candidates, nor do we work against candidates. We publish their voting records on our website, azcdl.org. But we don't get involved in election or election politics. We stay at the, for the very most part at the state level. The vast majority of our activity has been advocating for good legislation. We've just had our, our 77th good gun bill signed by our the third governor that has been uh, in the governor's chair since we were founded and i'll talk significantly about that bill in just a minute but what we've mainly done is stayed almost completely in our lane of advocating for good laws at the state level not only about guns but about self-defense on rare occasion on something that touched on the edge of self-defense, like once we lobbied against a bill on primary seatbelt enforcement in, the, in, uh, in Arizona and such. And we've, we've occasionally lobbied for things that were a little outside the gun realm, but I'd say 97%, 96% of what we do is within the right to keep and bear arms milieu. The reason for that is we're not a border organization. We're not a 
We're not a First Amendment organization, although we've certainly spoken in favor of some First Amendment related uh, bills, but we're not an organization that does that. We are an organization that protects your rights by protecting your, your, your civil rights and also by uh, protecting your right to keep and bear arms. By civil rights, I mean, one thing we do advocate for strongly is Article 2, Section 2 of Arizona's Constitution, which says more or less verbatim that all power is inherent in the people and that governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed and that the purpose of government is to enforce the individual, the liberties of the individual citizen. That's more or less verbatim what Article 2, Section 2 says. And it's just as important as Arizona's Second Amendment, which is actually ensconced at uh, Article 2, Section 26 of Arizona's Constitution, which is Arizona's right to keep and bear arms, that the right, the right of the individual citizen to keep and bear arms in defense of himself or the state shall not be impaired, which is a much more clearly worded statement than the United States Second Amendment. And we so, advocate... Go ahead. I just happen to have it right here. I was just going to say, Asti, since, you, since we're literally mentioning it right now, the Article 2, Section 26 has a little bit more. You may know it off the top of your head, but I got it written here. The right of the individual citizen to bear arms in defense of himself or the state shall not be impaired, comma, but nothing in this section shall be construed as authorizing individuals or corporations to organize, maintain, or employ an armed body of men. So do we just ignore that clause? Or is, was that no, from back it, in the no, days it, of No, it's, it's not terribly relevant. I'm sorry, what? That's from like back in the days of posses and, and, and ranches no. would get their own little armies? No, it's not for that. It's so that the railroads don't form armies. Okay, the railroads a, would fight each other. Okay. Well, no, the railroads would fight their own unions. Oh, okay. And that was what that was all about. And what it said is, is that you're not going to have a a a, a private a militia. You're you're not you're not. Um, the law doesn't say you can form militias. It doesn't. It says nothing shall authorize. It doesn't say it's prohibited. In other words, but you're it's, not it's saying the, the individual, but it's not authorizing the corporation, I guess. Right. Well, it's it's not authorizing them to it's not authorizing them to form a militia in the name of the state. Okay, but in other words, it's a clause that we can essentially ignore because it's not hurting anybody, and it's just a, it's dealing with stuff that's ancient history, and it's not can't be applied to us. I'm assuming, otherwise, you guys would have ripped it off of there by now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't see a reason to change it. Um, I interrupted you, though. You were talking about how the goal, I think, of the AZCDL has been a focus on on what protecting or is, protecting is part of the, the goal of the, been to protect the rights. Of, I'm sorry. What? I guess I was going to finish this. Is is it also it was part of the goal to protect the future by putting in laws that would safeguard? Yeah, and also rolling back a lot of things that were done uh, uh, wrongfully. I'll give you an example. Uh, most of state preemption, ARS 133108, is specifically written against the uh, malfeasances and illegal acts of the city of Tucson. Almost all of preemption is aimed right square at Pima County because they have a tendency to act like their own country. And they're not. They're a political subdivision of the state. And firearms jurisdiction is preempted by the state against the 
local municipalities, counties, boards, districts, and authorities. And uh, over the years, the city of Tucson did all kinds of things to infringe on the right to keep and bear arms of its own citizens until finally, not only did the state pass laws that said that they're preempted from doing it, but when Tucson ignored the preemption, we were successful in getting a law passed in 2016 and Senate Bill 1679 that year that said that if a, if a city or a county or a, or a district ignored state law that they could lose all their state shared revenue. And that passed in 16 and 18, there was a referral from a state legislator to the attorney general because Tucson was destroying guns in violation that had been seized by the police department that required by law to sell them back into the market as long as they're not defaced or illegally converted to full auto and not on the NFA list. Well, anyway, uh, they were ignoring that and there was a referral made by um, uh, Representative Mark Fincham to the Attorney General, Mark Brunovich, and Brunovich took him before the, uh, in a special action, uh, took him before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court voted seven to zero that the city of Tucson was in violation and that they had to, 30 days to change their ordinance or they'd lose $116 million of state shared revenue, which would have bankrupted the city of Tucson. And so uh, they knuckled under, they, capit they capitulated. Tucson existed before what, 1918 when Arizona became the state? Well, Tucson's been in existence since uh, before the United States was, was in existence. Yeah, the so they probably, we have the charter, I guess, uh, right, but we got the like, What's the? I don't know if it would be tradition because it isn't, but we probably the, the politicians probably have the inclination that like some of those. I always get the. I always think of the states, the cities in Vegas, the cities in, in Nevada that are older than the state of Nevada, and that's why they, at least that's what it was explained to me. That's why they have their, um, they can be islands in the state laws. You know, they don't have state preemption there. So the I, since the cities existed before the, the state came along and said, here's some laws, the city said, well, you can have whatever laws you want over there, but we're, we have higher laws over here. And I'm wondering if Tucson has that memory or if the politicians no. want it to be no, that way. Tucson, no, Tucson is very left-leaning and is arrogant. And they, there are 33 cities in Arizona, which are charter, known as charter cities. And a charter is like a mini constitution. And the charter grants the authority of a city to operate within the scope of what's in the charter. Well, there's nothing about firearms in the city charter, but that really ra rarely ever troubles the city, the, the, the people in charge of the city, or for that matter, Pima County, they think they can do whatever they want because they think that if, a, if, a, the con, if the state law or the constitution is silent about something that they can pass any law they want, when the truth is they cannot exceed, they can have a, a law about guns, a city ordinance about guns, but that law cannot exceed the penalties in state law. And if the state law is silent about something, then Tucson can't do anything about it because it would exceed state law. They've never seemed to grasp that. I think these mosquitoes, when they see my mouse wiggling, they come at my my mouse wiggling around. They always seem to attack me when I'm when I'm moving my mouse. So uh, we got a comment up on the screen here. Um, guy up in Washington State, Colin Woods, uh, is asking, "Do you think of think of the past? 
Uh, so what do you think of new gun owners? Do you think the new tech-savvy gun owners will be as effective to a advocates? They'll be better to a advocates when, when workable phasers come out. So uh, are you being funny or are you really yeah, I, I can't no, even imagine what will happen no, when I, we I was just being I was I was being flippant. Um, <laughs> the uh, when when that true iPhone gun comes out and becomes effective, they'll really be good. No, I think it's a matter of just just like anything else in life, you get better at it with experience and with maturity. And as new gun owners grow into the right to keep and bear arms and fully grasp the meaning and the, and the methods, the lawful and, and fruitful methods of owning a gun, they will, and all the things that go around guns, all the equipment, the accoutrement and such, I think they will eventually grow into um, effective activism in the right to keep and bear arms. As long as people like us keep trying to pass along, like me, for instance, and like you, try, keep trying to pass along what we know to other people, I deliberately, I was the first board member to leave the board of AZCDL because I wanted to bring up people younger than me, and I did that. Uh, a guy 15 years younger than me is now the secretary, and that's a good thing for the right to keep and bear arms. I, uh, I think as long as we keep finding new and younger people to assume the mantle of activism that will always be fine. But if we don't teach it to our kids and really also, especially our grandkids, the, the right to keep and bear arms will eventually wither and die unless we do that. For sure. Um, I think I was going to say, uh, I probably should write myself notes because I don't, I'm trying not to interrupt people when I interview them. So I leave myself a note and I didn't do it this time, but I think what I was going to ask was, Keeping along with the kind of talking about AZCDL, and since we haven't chatted in a while, I was going to ask, how is AZCDL membership doing? Is it a struggle to keep members? Is it no. are we plentiful with no. members? Is it what's the status? No, we've been growing just fine all through the pandemic. Um, our membership increased without doing gun shows. People were just joining us online. Uh, we started out with. Four guys at the Five and Diner on Ray Road in Chandler in 2005 were scraping the bottom of 22,000 members now. Right on. And then I guess I was going to ask kind of adjacent to that and kind of what the last question was, since we haven't chatted in a while. Over the last couple of years, there's been news stories of different focus and different levels or whatever, different positions on it. But with the concept that there's millions of new gun owners in the last few years due to, you know, and then typically self-defense or concern for security and that kind of thing. My, I'm going to ask an open-ended question. What's your feelings perspective on this concept of a bunch of new gun owners coming to the scene in the last few years? And I'm, I'm assuming these are new adult gun owners and not like children who are doing pandemic hobbies, but we're assuming these are, adults concerned with self-defense and become, you know, making the conscious decision as an adult to become a gun owner. Do you believe, well, what, what's your input? I think there's two things. Number one is the Antifa riots in, in uh, 2020 woke and the, and the, and the, and the uh, 
consequent defunding of a bunch of police departments made people realize that when they dialed 911, they were not likely going to get a response, or if they did, it would be way, way, way. And people began to realize when they saw the smoke-filled air, when the, when the air around them began to fill up with smoke of sometimes neighborhood houses and neighborhood businesses burning, and the fact that when, the, when they dialed the phone, 911 either put them on hold or didn't show up or showed up hours, if not days later, they began to realize in a very visceral way that self-defense is an individual responsibility. And as such, that they damn well better do something about it or, there or the coroner could eventually come and get their body and uh, take it wherever they take it. So they woke up and, um, you know, talk about being woke. That, <laughs> that woke them real good. That's number one. And number two is, is that the very, very unfortunate murder of George Floyd in a horrible incident um, really, really tarnished people's view of law enforcement. And, you know, the vast, of course, the vast majority of cops are not that, but nobody hates a bad cop worse than a good cop because it, it makes it much tougher for them to do their job. And when Floyd was murdered by the Minneapolis police, or at least he died in their custody. I mean, the, uh, Chauvin was convicted of murder, and the other, and and they are they've all been convicted of civil rights violations as well. Though so all of those cops are going to go to jail for a long, long time. Former cops are going to go to jail for a long, long time. But what it told communities of color is that they, the message it sent was that they cannot rely on the police, and it'll take years to if it ever does get rebuilt. It'll take years to rebuild that level of trust. I don't really honestly think that you ever can regain that trust once it's lost. It'll take a, at least a generation to do so and some heroic actions by some heroic cops before anyone will begin to regain that level of trust with police again. And so it told communities of color that, hey, uh, the statement I use is, yo, yo, you're on your own. And uh, the two statements I make are yo-yo and yo-yor. Yo-yor is you own your own results. So those two things put together, you're on your own and you own your own results, uh, drove a lot of people to the gun shop to say, hey, I'm, I want to, I wanna, I, you know, people who would have never owned a gun before have said, okay, I'm going to go buy a Glock and, you know, a nine millimeter Glock and have a little bit of ammo and have it in my house. And then what started to happen as the pandemic receded was a lot of people realized that it's a tremendous responsibility to own a gun. You got guys like Maj Touré who are doing the Lord's work, training people on how to use guns, especially in communities of color in Philadelphia, but he's working around the country. You got people like Rhonda Ezel in Chicago who are training people how to shoot. Her, her organization is, she's training people how to get their, uh, get their gun rights more than individually training them how to shoot. But this, the point is there's organizations springing up all over the country to teach people and train people. And one thing I'm seeing in my CCW classes is I'm starting to see a half to a, a third to a half of the people uh, in, the, in the, uh, the, the, the black and brown communities um, come into my class and I love it. I wanna see, the, I wanna see that room as, as, as uh, 
diverse is the word, but I, I, I call it, you know, I want to see it as spotted as possible. I want everybody in the class and I don't care who they are or who they love or what they look like or what language they spoke when they started their life. I only care about two things, how they treat each other and how they act with a gun so they don't, they don't screw up my rights and give me a bad name. But, um, you know, I, I'm thrilled to see more and more people taking responsibility for their own, so not just for their own self-defense, but becoming more aware, situationally aware of what goes on around them. And even if something doesn't happen to them, how to be a better witness, how to be a better, uh, uh, you know, we call it, they, they call police and firemen the first responders, but the people who are there before the police get there, they're the zero responders. I love to see people become better zero responders. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. And then along, whoops, along that route, since you've been a CCW instructor, I think longer than any of the other stuff we've talked about tonight, um, in your classes, how have, have students changed at all in the last couple of years? Or has it been a difference in the last couple of years compared to before the last couple of years? Uh, I'm seeing more new people. I'm seeing more people that really don't know. And I orient my class to not use a lot of jargon. You mean I new people like a 45-year-old who decided to pick up a gun versus somebody who's been around guns since they were 12 and decided to constitute or decided to carry? Yeah, or whatever age. The oldest people I've had in my class have been in their 80s. And uh, the youngest people I've had in my class have been in their 20s. But I mean, when you say new, you mean new to guns, like someone who's decided to, yeah. I'm going to pick up a gun out of nowhere, as opposed to back in the day, it was more because we're Arizona. Somebody had a gun for a long time. They decided to carry and went to you to learn how. But they knew yeah. about guns already. I, I'm getting a lot of people. Thank you. That That's a good refinement, Pete. I, I'm getting a lot of people who are new to the gun, to the, to the gun world. And it's foreign to them, but they're open to. They're open to the knowledge and they want to know. I noticed that people ask me more how questions than why questions. The more experienced gun people will often ask why something is, but the new people ask, how does that work? I'm hearing more how questions than why. And um, I try very, very hard not to you know, I'm not God's gift to the gun world. Um, there's a lot of people who know a lot more than me, but I know what I know, and I'm very conversant with it, and I have been since my dad put his 45 in my hands at age six. Now, I didn't get to shoot it then, but <laughs> I had to learn how to put it together again. He left it taken apart. He said, when you can put it together, you can shoot it. That took me five years of Saturdays to figure out. <laughs> I finally did when I was 11, but I mean... Um, I don't try and impress people with that knowledge. I don't try and say how great I am. I just try and explain the way things work to people cogently so that they can, you know, assimilate it into however it is they learn because not everybody learns the same way. And so, for instance, I don't use a lot of jargon-based uh, nomenclature. I don't say, you know, you run the slide home and you do this and where the hell is home? Where does the slide live? You know, I, I use phrases like let the slide down. And then I explain to them that's called being in battery when it's all the way forwards and ready to fire. 
and you know, and I explain I explain all the gun guy terms. In fact, I kind of make fun of the gun guy terms, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and all the technical language about guns. I try to put it in what Paul Harvey called shirt sleeve English. So I've been I found a lot more appreciation. Um, I've actually gotten more warm feedback, if you will, from people uh, lately in the last couple of years than I ever have in teaching the class, because I think what's happened is people got really scared over the last couple of years. And what I've offered them uh, is sort of a, a form of comfort. It's because there's true comfort in competence, because when you grow your own, uh, your self-esteem through gaining and through attaining a competence, it gives you a feeling of confidence that you didn't have before and it isn't achievable without personal, without personal growth. And I'm affording people a pathway towards that growth for themselves. And I've seen more appreciation for it. Interesting. So again, with that idea that somebody in Arizona might have been around guns, or at least their friends had guns, they've gone shooting a few times, they know what it's like to go out in the desert and shoot, but now they can carry and they want to take it more seriously. They go to you to learn the laws and all the, you know, do all everything correctly in that. So now it seems like you're getting less like, hey, thank you for the insight. Thank you for the info or something in more this, well, like you just explained. And that I could see being a, like a more fulfilling. Is it more fulfilling as an instructor? It's more fulfilling for me, but that I do it because it's the right thing to do, not for a sense of fulfillment. I do it as a matter of. I mean, service. yeah, it needs to be done. So you're going to do it either way. But I mean, you get that. Right. It's like a reward. It's like extra icing that you don't always get. Yeah. Heaven knows I suffer from too much icing as it is, but. <laughs> But, uh, but the point is, though, that there's, there's a gestalt there. There's a, the, there's a positive feedback loop that I'm, I'm hoping to keep in for maybe like a, a positive force field, you know, that, that, I, that I'm trying to start. And, and not so much teaching, you do it, what, you do what I say because I'm the instructor. It's not that. It's if you do this, your life will be maybe a little bit easier or a little bit safer. But you'll figure out your own ways of doing things. I'll give you the basics. You'll figure out what works for you. A great example of that is holsters. No two people wear a holster exactly the same. And so it takes a lot of experimentation. That's one reason why I've got a big box full of holsters that's always growing. And once in a while, I get rid of something. But um, my box of holsters is always growing and always, um, you know, occasionally having something new added, occasionally subtracting something from it. And, um, and I, I find new ways of teaching people how to wear a gun that's less obtrusive and less uncomfortable for them. Actually, I was going to ask that. You sort of answered it as you were saying it. But I know that most instructors probably have what you're talking about, a, a, an example box or maybe like test fitment or you know, oh, for your body shape or for your lifestyle, try this holster and, you know, here's a sample and then go try a different, more comfortable one. But you just said that you increase that box. So as a new fangle thing comes out, you do grab them and experiment and put them in the mix. Occasionally, I've been looking for about four or five years for a flashbang holster. 
and I guess I need to put a brassiere in the in the case because flashbang holsters normally hang from an underwire bra. I just have not found it in my soul to go out and buy a bra somewhere. I, <laughs> I guess I'll say it enough times and somebody will donate a bra to me. So donate a bra to the class anyway, not to me. I'm sorry, what did you say, Pete? I said there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'll pass because we've got a bunch of questions coming in. Uh, okay. Somebody saying, think the show plays Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. It's or Sunday. No, it is Sunday. It's and Sunday. does it is it uh, anywhere besides Tucson? No, but um, I've been meaning to update the archive for America Armed and Free. That's the eight o'clock shows called America Armed and Free. But anyone that wants to write to me, I will send them the, that current week's show compressed down to about five megs. And uh, it's called America Armed and Free. That's about America's history and culture. And if they want to email me, they can email to charles at libertywatchradio.com. That's charles at libertywatchradio.com. And I will send them, I'll put them on the list if they want to be, and I'll send them America's Fabric. My program, uh, Liberty Watch, is available online at libertywatchradio.com radio.com and click on the recent shows tab i don't have last week's show i don't have yesterday's show posted yet the recording failed i'm working on a backup recording but generally speaking the last six months of the program are there and if they scroll down below that last six months there's a text archive of every guest i've had on for since 2002 and they can request any old shows i have them all on my computer and I'll send them any old show that, that they want, or I'll post it in the archive so that they can download it. Well, here's the thing, a term that I'll say every once in a while that I got from listening to Charles. I'm going to narrow band, wait, yeah, narrow cast this down to Charles. Um, I'm looking, I, one of the, I don't know, I haven't looked, but I think you took it off of there a while ago, but Oh, I don't even know what year. Well, it had to be since 2002, I guess. But back in the olden days, I mean, it had to be in 2002 to 2004, probably. I called in when you had Richard Marcinko on, and I asked him yes. about Red Cell in Tucson. And then I asked him M16 versus AK-47. And I was just reminiscent about this the other day. But I asked Marcinko those two questions on your radio show, and I thought that was awesome because I had not met Marcinko at that point. And then yeah. I don't know if I ever told you this, but then when I went to SHOT Show, I went up to Marcinko and I was like, hey, I asked you this question on a radio show in Tucson. And he's like, oh, I remember you. And then, yeah. that's right, so I knew Marcinko now because he remembered me from your radio show, right? And then Greg. do you know Greg? You know Greg, right, my friend Greg? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, so me and Greg went to SHOT Show in 2009, and we're hanging out in, in, in Greg is a big fan of Marcinko from the books, right? And I uh -huh. told him, yeah, I knew Marcinko or whatever. We're going to go down, and we're going to talk to him. And we go down to, he was at, oh, is it, I forget the name now, but I'll think of it in a second, the name of the knife he was with, and he was engraving his name on these knives, if you got one. Was it Strider? I forget the name of the knife company he was hanging out with. So uh -huh. we knew he was at the knife booth. We get there, and he's getting his... I don't know what was going on. I can't remember the story or say it well anymore, but he basically was listening to somebody and you could tell he was not having a good time. Uh, yeah. And this guy was kind of the, I'm going to touch you and I'm going to come around the th 
thing. And we could just tell this guy was being obnoxious to Marcinko. And he yeah. looks up and he sees me and he remembered me. And he goes and he used that as an opportunity to get that guy out of there. And then huh. I was like, hey, Greg would like to meet you. And he took Greg in and intentionally gave Greg all the attention and really gave him everything <laughs> we could to piss that other guy off. And it was all because he met me the year before and remembered me. So I was somebody he could jump off to that he knew and do you know, what he needed to do. And my friend Greg was the beneficiary of it. And it's all thanks to being able to call on that show. And then subsequently, every year at Chacho, Show, if he seen me, he'd go, hey, and we'd say hey and stuff. I thought he was the coolest dude ever. Yeah, he was a very together guy in a lot of respects. So, um, you know, I'm as you say that, I'm looking back to the archive and seeing uh, if I can find that show. And if I can, I'll send it to you. Right so, on. Or if, um, like, say, maybe if, if, if I think I have it somewhere, because I'm pretty sure I turned it into a YouTube video or something, but I was going to kind of go back pull it up out of the archives and put it up again just to do it because he's a cool dude uh-huh but anyway um i was just thinking about that the other day and came up in the conversation here so then woods who asked a question earlier you said my idea that the new generation can communicate far more effectively than we could in our youth i guess okay. he was going on to that past question about whether the new will be more effective activists I don't know. I mean, I think they got the potential to be more effective activists, but remember, they've got a bigger thing to talk in. So, you know, we had Neil Knox back in the day who was super effective without the Internet. Right. So we we're always going to have people who are effective. But the tools, you know, just mean there's a lot more people with the tools. So there's still going to have to be a couple of people that are the most effective with those tools, with the message. Right. Well, they know how to use social media. And that, which is a tremendous tool if you use it right. I've become active on Twitter. You've seen some of my tweets. But um, the, uh, but do they have the, the, they don't have, will they inherit the institutional knowledge about firearms is the question. And I find that the newer generation, not the people who come to my class, because they come there for the specific knowledge that I have to impart to them. But I, I find that many other people in the younger generations do not have the attention span, or maybe they have the attention span if they want to, but just not the patience to sit and learn things, unless it's something that totally fascinates them or has got some aspect of tech to it that is able to hold their attention. Yeah, and I'm finding just in my, I got, what do you call it, experience, like, just being around long enough and watching enough stuff that it's like the thing that has the funniest cartoon is what gets the attention. And that's not necessarily the thing that's the most important element of history, right? Like sometimes the person who has the best message, ability to say the message, the most entertaining way is looking at some of the most boring or in, like, dumb things instead of looking at the important stuff or the interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, you know, part of the, Big picture, I guess. So, what uh, barbecue from uh, Guns and Barbecue, a channel out of Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania. He hosts a couple of three shows. He's been doing a series where he interviews Second Amendment activist females, calls it Two Way Women Wednesday, and brings them on for an hour or more to talk about their projects. Uh, he also hosts some uh, structured weekly uh, conversations that are open to people who want to join in. He asks, What are the First three steps that you would recommend to someone who wants to start their own 
to state level two way activism group. When we look at a map, there's a couple of states that are kind of lacking in the Second Amendment or state level groups. So three steps. Copy another group's pattern. Find one that suits you and copy them and ask them for help. Uh, AZCDL has planted several other uh, citizens defense leagues in the nation, and we're happy to do that. We'll help you out all we can. We'll give you our bylaws. We'll give you the benefit of our wisdom and our experience if you want. If necessary, we'll even have somebody come out there and, uh, and talk to you about it. I've done that in Colorado. Um, in fact, one of the guys I had in the activism group in Colorado when I went up there was uh, one of the survivors of the Columbine massacre, and he's now in the legislature there. So, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're happy to help, but do it wisely. Don't just, I mean, if you've got somebody that's got a lot of organizing experience and you've got a nucleus to form around where one guy can do all the paperwork and is really good with filings, you know, great if they're an accountant or something like that, Another who's good at being the, the face of the organization can talk to people and one who's good at lobbying and then maybe one who's good at organizing volunteers and you all kind of get together and become the, the three musketeers and D'Artagnan together. And then you copy somebody else's pattern that works is, is what I would suggest to you you do. Um, reading through a bunch of different comments, but now another question. What do you think of the state of 2A in 2022? That's kind of a broad one. We're Are doing, you paying attention? We're doing very well. I think we're doing extremely well. Uh, a combination of the states, like you mentioned earlier, 25 states have got constitutional carry. And on top of that, you've just had New York State uh, Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin which is going to be the foundation. And it's going to take 10 years to get New York and Massachusetts and, uh, and Connecticut and California to quit misbehaving. But eventually they're going to be, they're going to be whipped, legally whipped into shape and being, being forced one at a time, you know, uh, uh, having their, uh, uh, their, uh, their anti-RKBAism yanked out by the roots, legally speaking, by people who forced them through lawful and legitimate action into compliance with the uh, with the law dang and i should not have tried to answer that question um woods was asking if i could post your email i don't mind charles saying it for sure but i don't no, like post posting it. emails I'll, i post maybe i'll try email. putting like charles space but the spams like eat that stuff up well, what I always do is I always post to Charles Space at AT, Liberty yeah. Space Watch, and then DOT Radio, or no, uh, you know, write it out, Charles at AT, right. Liberty Watch Radio, DOT Space COM. And I don't usually have problems posting it when I do it that way. I was going to say, like, I mean, I'm sure you've been on plenty of big shows and you'd usually use it. So I just, I just, and, uh, I have no problem with it. I don't care. There's no such thing as privacy in the United States anymore. So might as well have, let your email address be out there. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Um, so the question was the state of 2A in 2022 and. I was going to expand on that, but um, 
like I said, I tried to answer that question and I and I lost the where I was going to take that. So I'm going to go to. Oh wait, are these questions? So maybe these aren't. So, um, as far as um, the the uh, other topic of being a two A activist in 2022, are um, you mentioned that we're in good shape and we've got uh, you know potential of ruin. What would you say if 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 um, we go to gun, when you go to gun rights policy? Because I'm assuming you are going to gun rights policy, which is coming up on uh, sort of the overlap when September turns into October. So what is it? September 30th, October 1st, something like that. It's like a three day. It's Friday, yeah. Saturday, and Sunday that weekend. And if right. you're going and you're in, in a content creator, I'd recommend going to AMCON, the alternative media convention that happens the Friday before. So plan on being in Dallas for that. Uh, are coming together of different media people in the 2A realm. That happens on Friday, and then Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday is the Gun Rights Policy Conference. Let's say you go to the Gun Rights Policy Conference, and in one of the sidebars, one of the private rooms, the organizing people get together, and they go, you know what, Charles, you've got uh, the best finger on the pulse over the years. You've had the best success rate. We're all getting tired so we're just going to give you the the reins for a while and for the next let's say two years you take the resources that are on the table and you have ultimate control like the five-star general and we're just going to all do our best to accomplish what you you know the, the, the what you tell us to accomplish how would you run 2a for the next two years you mean if I were, you know, in essence, the god of, of the right to keep and bear arms? Six-star six general, temporary six-star general of 2A. Okay. Of all the organizations, they all say, I, we'll bend a knee and do what we're told for a while. I accept the brevetment. I, I, the first thing I would do is I would empower the state-level organizations. And I would implore every state-level organization to work for, towards preemption so that cities, counties, towns, boards, and districts could not exceed the state's jurisdiction on the right to keep and bear arms. This is especially important in big cities like Illinois and New York. I would I'd do everything I could to cancel New York City's, um, uh, um, what do you call it? In the, not independence, there's a name for it when, you, uh, when the city can make laws independent of its state because it's so big. Uh, um, they don't have state um... autonomy, whatever. There's, it's not the word I'm looking for, but I can't think of the specific word right at the moment. But anyway, I, I would encourage people to work at the state level to uh, install preemption. I would also encourage them to work at the state level to get people elected to the federal legislature who will not only just form, not only just hold the line, but to, to, to march through the institutions and restore fully the right to keep and bear arms. I would encourage them to lobby their their Congress people and senators to take one by one. I don't think we'll ever get this massive um, momentum to repeal, say, the 68 Gun Control Act or the National Firearms Act. I don't know that we can ever get that done wholesale. But what we can do is work to take pieces out of it until the only thing left in NFA is the is the machine gun. I don't know if we'll ever get back to machine guns, but we can certainly pick it apart one item at a time. 
first of all, getting suppressors out of the NFA and then getting suppressors deregulated completely. So they're just another part on a firearm and they're not anything, you know, you can mail a suppressor through the, the mail. You can sell them individually. Let's just get them deregulated and do that a bit at a time. Take little bits and pieces and advance our freedom and the right to keep and bear arms, both at the state level and at the federal level. The other thing I would really, really, really encourage people to do is to form state compacts where they accept each other's CCW permit or between states. Of course, if you have two states with constitutional carry, neither one of them needs a CCW permit. But the states that don't accept have constitutional carry accept the, the constitutional carry of the state someone is traveling from and do it by compact between individual states and eventually you'll get enough what we uh, uh, what they call collateral circulation around the blockages. You may never be able to change New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles, but most of the country will have reciprocity by state action. Those are some things I would do. The other thing I would look at in the states is having states pass laws that mirror the federal statute on the deprivation of civil rights under the color of law and have states develop misdemeanor and uh, civil statutes where instead of, if your right to keep and bear arm is abridged, instead of having to make a federal case out of it for whatever reason, you can do make your case at the state level and get your rights at the state level restored because most times that people are convicted of a felony, it's not in federal court, it's in state court. And if your felony is overcome, if it's overturned, or if you're pardoned, or if you get your rights restored, then that's not at the state level, not at the federal level. Another thing I would do is I would work on, you know, we're getting all kinds of forgiveness lately for all kinds of crimes. I would look at the restoration of getting back the restoration of rights to keep and bear arms after a, federal, after a certain period of years has elapsed and the person has made themselves whole and, and a, a functional member of society to get their rights back. Because the more and more and more people who exercise the right to keep and bear arms, the more and more difficult it will be to in, infringe those rights. That's awesome. That was, I, I love that last part. Uh, a lot of people are for the restoration of rights. You're talking felons after some time or whatever, but very few put a reason, uh, you know, a, a succinct reason like that well here's another thing you know i don't um i don't look at 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 color i look at at people's character like like uh dr martin luther king said that said if you start restoring people's rights the people that's going to affect most greatly are going to be communities of color and the lower socioeconomic classes so i mean the idea that yeah, restoring people's rights is a good thing, we'll get a lot of black and Hispanic backing behind it because a lot of people in those communities, uh, especially in the black community, have a disproportionately high uh, rate of conviction for felonies. And it's not necessarily always because of what they did. In some cases, it was discrimination. Let's get that discrimination reversed by restoring those people's rights if they've indeed come back to the community and are productive portions of it. It gets into a whole nother thing, but yeah, just again, like 
without getting too far on a tangent, if it's illegal to possess and you're holding a firearm to defend yourself, minding your business, but you get a patent stop and search pat down because they don't like look your face and then they find that you're possessing and now it's a gun crime, a mandatory minimum, you're going to jail. You never did nothing but want to try to defend yourself, which should be your right anyway. They create a reason you can't and then you go to jail because of that. And right. yeah, and then once you get out, now it's difficult to have a job or to have status and this and that. So it's uh, well, I'm no one disregard it, but I just wanted to put a like a more finer point on. Yeah, we're not talking like, well, let's give a pass to violent criminals. We're saying like, hey, let's be realistic. And there's a whole bunch of people that get painted with that brush. Let's start by not just doing that, right? And let's solve some of the people that have been hit by that splatter. Yeah, absolutely. And then what that does is leave the resources that are there for the actual violent people to actually take care of the violent people. And you see a lot less of this stuff that they like to jump on. Just now I'm ranting, I guess. But uh, you see a lot less of the violent people getting let free because the places are so crowded. If you get rid of the people that don't need to be there, it's not crowded no more. Amen. Okay. What other, so, questions, what other questions have come in? Uh, who inspires you? Who inspires me? <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> um, you mean what activist inspires me? Yeah, he just says who inspires him. Uh, I really love Star Trek. I love the vision of the future, that there is a future, and then even the future has a future. That inspires me. I've started taking notes while I uh, do the show, so I apologize that it also makes me uh, slow in coming okay. back from mute. I'm all right um, with that. I go by the book, judge humans by the fruit they produce. Okay. Um, I don't think there's any others. If I'm missing questions, let me know, but I tried to star the ones. Um, uh, we're right about an hour, and I don't want to make this uh, not palatable or digestible, I guess, uh, because this is designed to let people know about AZCDL in case you don't know. It wasn't the most uh, scripted, you know, concise history, but a little bit of insight about the organization for those. I think it's a good taste for people who know about AZCDL. You got a bunch of stuff that I didn't even know about, and I've been a member forever. Um, and for people that don't know about it, it was a little bit of, uh, you know, a little taste but uh, definitely go check it out you do not need to be a member or you don't need to be a resident of arizona by any means uh and i recommend being a member of lots of different organizations but our organization is the one that started constitutional carry so i'm just saying so uh feel free to join we encourage you to do so if not just check it out um I, somewhere along the line we talked about virginia citizens defense league and one of the things i'm a big fan of is that they do their meetings their 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 um monthly meetings on the youtube uh, i imagine it's on a couple other platforms too but i watch it on the youtube and i'm sure you know the people from bcdl and uh yeah, they just do such an effective meeting it was really neat or it, it's, it's a consistently really neat. And then during the uh, craziness and everything, when they were getting uh, all kinds of problems with being able to do their, uh, effectively their rally day, I forget what they actually call it in Virginia, there's a name for it. Um, I can't think of the name, but whatever, they do it right on the same time as SHOT Show. So a bunch of people from Virginia never go to SHOT Show because they go to this. A lot of people participate in their uh, going to the Capitol and stuff. But they did uh, such an effective and um 
excellent job of turning their in-person rally into a parade, into like they rented these big orange buses and blaze orange that say gun saves lives on them. Thanks to Alan Corwin, who gives that saying mm -hmm. to everybody. Um, but I just think they did such a neat job. So um, I just wanted to give a shout out to VZCDL. They're just a cool organization. Um, but anyway, so this one wanted to keep about an hour so that people learn about AZCDL, which is an even cooler organization, and then uh, kind of focus on Second Amendment activism. Um, Enrique is saying, ask people to download this month's PDF newsletter. It's good. In fact, what I've been thinking about doing is going through and doing a live show where I just uh, go through the different newsletters from the organizations that I'm a member of, maybe once a month, and then That's a you know, there's a way for people to kind of see what's happening. And then um, ideally, if somebody sees what one organization is doing, oh, look how they had a member's FAQ at the end of their newsletter. Maybe we could try that. Or like, look how somebody put a poll in there. That's a good idea. We should try that. Or somebody's doing a barbecue at their thing, maybe we should do a potluck, or you know, I don't know. So, but if they can share ideas, that would be that would be great. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Charles, anything else? I appreciate you coming on, but is there anything that uh, we may have glossed over or well, cut you off? There or is one piece of legislation in Arizona I'd like to talk about, if you don't mind. Sure. And that is uh, our, you know, as usual, we got about two of our seven bills through. Some years we get five or six. Some years we get one or two. I don't think we've had any years where we've gotten none signed by the governor. But this year, um, understand that in Arizona, in order to use or threaten to use deadly force, it has to be against a deadly force crime or one that can cause grave bodily injury. And you cannot defend personal property, your car, your stereo, your whatever, your, uh, your drink bottle, your water filter. You cannot defend it if someone tries to steal it. You can't point a gun at them because it's a property crime, and property is deemed to be less value than human of less value than human life. So, so you can't. Pardon me a minute. <clears throat> you can't. You cannot threaten the use of deadly force in order to protect property. Well, firearms are personal property. So if someone's trying to steal your firearm, they're really only committing a property crime, and you can't use deadly force against it in Arizona. That even includes a gun off your hip. Well, that's pretty stupid because if someone's trying to steal a live gun off of you, they're not doing it to go raffle it for charity. They're going to use it against you. They're very likely to use it against you. And so now what we did is we, we got the Arizona law changed in that it says if someone attempts to, to gain control of the firearm on your person, now because it's a firearm, it is now an armed robbery and you can use deadly force to defeat a gun grab. And that'll become effective in the middle of September, whenever, Senate, uh, 90 days after Sina die, whenever that was, July, whatever, July 31st, uh, no, uh, June 31st, uh, June, July, August, September, at the end of September, that'll become effective law in Arizona. And uh, it's a very needed change. And uh, it was my idea. Sitting here typing again. And that's one of those things that um, I guess if they don't come up often, then they don't get a crazy uh, like a bunch of media focus or whatever, then 
uh, they kind of just sit without someone to champion them, I guess. And right. there's been a couple, like, I, I would describe, um, what am I trying to describe? The the thing that happened, I'm trying to think of it now, and I was just typing, so it's almost like talking and typing at the same time, trying to get my uh, memory back. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that we had in Arizona was to, oh, it's, it's think it's stand your ground. And whenever, you'll know what year we passed that, because you probably were involved in it more than anybody, but stand your ground was effectively at least the way it was explained to me probably by you was that uh we effectively had the the victim in the situation was had the duty to prove why they were innocent and stand yes. your ground changes it to where the victim is presumed innocent and the state has to prove otherwise that's actually not I appreciate the question. I know what you're asking me, okay. but it's actually not stand your ground. Arizona has always been a stand your ground state. However, what you're talking about is the presumption of reasonableness. And between 1996 and 2006, Arizona had eliminated that defense. So okay. it had it had the net effect if someone uh, accosted you, put a Bowie knife to your throat and said, "Give me your wallet or I'll kill you." and you drew a gun and shot him and then called the police and you said, this man robbed me at knife point and so I shot him. The next four words you then heard were you are under arrest. And the reason you had that was because the presumption of reasonableness had been removed from the law in 1996. And now you could only do two things. You could either A, hope that the prosecutor wouldn't ask to indict you or B, that if you were indicted, you would go to court and claim necessity. It was necessary for you to do what you did. And necessity is a terrible way to try and fight something. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a defense, but it means you've been indicted and you're on trial. And, uh, you know, by, judged by reasonable persons. And I've always said reasonable people are the ones you don't want to meet because it means you've been indicted. So in 2006, we got the Castle Doctrine enhanced to include your car. And added into that was the presumption of reasonableness. And uh, the basis for that was the Hal Fish case, the Coconino hiker who shot somebody in self-defense. I was going to say, uh, that almost sounded like it was kind of correlating with Fish. So, Right, it was. And, and then the Hal Fish case, his lawyer, Mac, uh, Mel McDonald, uh, and Alan Corwin testified on it. I testified on it. A lot of people wore out sets of tires driving up to Phoenix to testify on that. I caught a prosecutor lying during that testimony. And I got up in front of the Judiciary Committee of the Senate, and Senator Farnsworth, and said, I may be out of order, Mr. Chairman, but can I respond to that? And a, a deputy assistant prosecutor from Phoenix materially misstated uh, the law on the use of deadly force, and I corrected her verbatim. By, by, I happen to know the law by heart, ARS 4, 13 uh, 405 on the use of deadly force, and I quoted it from memory verbatim. I said, Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, Madam Prosecutor either doesn't know what her job is, or worse, she has just given material, uh, material false statements before this committee. Thank you for listening. And there was steam coming out of that woman, woman's ears when I walked out of the committee room. <laughs> was, we had a frank and we had a frank and brutal discussion, which caused her to stamp her foot down so hard she broke her high heel. <laughs> so, but anyway, we got that passed in 2006. And uh, now it's, uh, it's the presumption of re reasonableness. And it, it fell into law at ARS 13-419.
the presumption of reasonableness in the use of force. And I think the reason I was bringing that up is those things that seem like they can be so subtle can have such, it's like the butterfly wings that create the storm, right? So that was kind of what created the, uh, led the way or cleaned the plate for um, concealed carry and then eventually constitutional carry, I would assume. You know, I, I want to change the name of the butterfly effect. I think it's just too subtle. I think it should be called the shot heard round the world effect. What do you think? Oh, nice. Yeah. I think and we ought to stop itself. using butterfly effect and say the shot heard round the world effect. The 22 that turns into a cannon roar? How about that? Too subtle. Not everybody will get it. Okay. So, good idea, but... The gun people will get it, but not everybody else will. All right. Well, I think that we've talked everybody out. I do this at night because I do value the people that reset the reset everything, uh, clean everything up, and do the shift work and stuff that most people take for granted. The people that are driving around and, and you know getting things done. So uh, for those people that are listening to us live and are able to show up live, thanks for it. Thanks for the questions. Uh, thanks, Charles. Thanks for the people that are listening. I guess I should first thank the people that are going to be listening in the future. Uh, either as a podcast or as a video on one of the platforms out there, leave us some feedback so we know where to keep putting stuff. And now I'll say thanks to Charles again for uh, staying up and chatting with us this evening. Um, you know, when you kind of ended there with some of the stories about uh, just mentioned some of the guys that had been involved in some of these things, has there ever been any kind of uh, uh, archiving of AZCDL? any kind of an attempt to create a history of any kind? No, and it's a damn good idea. Uh, it's something for me to work on, but I don't know that I ever I mean, have time to do it. Um, it is a, it is a really have good accomplishments, idea. But it would be neat to maybe set out a, maybe a, a list of things that if people had the time to make some quick videos and just share them with, we could accumulate them somewhere and people could just do some recollections when they have the time to their phones. Even if they just did them as audio, you could play them on the radio. I could make a playlist. We could put them somewhere so that the website could link to them. And just because when you kind of were talking there about how that interaction went down with that attorney, I mean, mm -hmm. countless things like that must have happened. And if that inspires or gives somebody some, uh, some motivation um, and just to keep it out there. And eventually I keep saying what we're doing on the Internet today is equivalent of somebody finding a shoebox full of black and white photographs. So the more we can put on the internet, the more the future holographic AIs or whoever's running the future will have to look back and know what happened back here. It's a really good idea. Yeah. I just okay, got to well, tell you, there, there is no joy like having a prosecutor get real close to you and yell profanely in your face and just have a stupid grin on your face by how happy it makes you, how aggravated you've got you've succeeded in making her. Well, know that there's people out here that are happy to know that you're out there doing it and that you are a representative of Mahopin of other state organizations that have people like you guys that are doing it. And this think that, you know, I could have had this conversation with probably somebody in Georgia or somebody from Ohio or somebody from Virginia or somebody from Florida. I mean, I'm, and then I could keep going Nebraska, Washington, California for sure. I know Charles, and we 
know, set this up, but there's a lot of people out there doing this stuff. But AZCDL has kind of started it all in the big leagues and led the way. So it's super cool to be in Arizona and being part of it. Um, again, I asked uh, Charles if he had anything else. I'll just ask him one more time if you got anything else to plug on the way out. Otherwise, we'll uh, wrap no, it up. No, I just, if anybody wants to reach out to me, Charles at Liberty Watch radio.com again charles at libertywatchradio.com if you want to be on the list for distribution of any of my programs if you'd like them sent to you i'll be happy to they're also published on libertywatchradio.com and you can uh, click on the uh, recent shows archive and you can get the last six months of liberty watch or america armed and free and as an aside to you pete i have not been able i'm Going through the archive, I'm up to 2007, and I haven't found the Marcinko, Marcinko uh, uh, interview yet, but I will. Um, okay, if you do, great. If you don't, like I say, I'm almost positive I have it on an old YouTube video, and I'm probably just going to use the audio anyway, because that's all there really is. Um, all right. We had one, one question snuck in here at the end. How long okay. would you consider, I'm going to say in your opinion, how long would you consider yourself to have been a Second Amendment activist? Uh, well, I was active in brass roots before uh, AZCDL was formed, I'd say since at least 1996 or so, 97. Was there something that made you think, you know what, I shouldn't, I'm taking something for granted, or what was it that made you say, you know what, I'm going to be an activist and not just a gun owner? Uh, I don't know if there was any one igniting event. Uh, you know, anyone primer that set me off. Um, it's just a long, I mean, I, I cared about the right to keep and bear arms as a child. Uh, I cared greatly about the right to keep and bear arms, starting from when I was six. And my dad handed me that 1914 issue, 1911. It wasn't an A1. I mean, it was an, it was an original issue, 1911, in the made in 1914. And probably been carried in World War One was definitely carried in World War Two, and my dad brought it home from the army. I've cared about, I've cared about the right to keep and bear arms since, uh, really since my earliest memory of guns. Is I've always thought it was an important right, and I've thought it was just as important as any other constitutional uh, provision. I had a grandfather was a judge and a dad was a law enforcement officer, both of whom instilled in me various views of the. Of, of the values of, of American values. And it's always been an important value to me. Awesome. I'm just going to add then, I mean, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but uh, you know, I was working at AOL going online and doing, I eventually had website clients and stuff. And I'd been listening to Charles through the nineties, listening to him on the radio and stuff. And uh, so just knowing listening to Charles, I was aware of what activism was, and I knew that I wasn't an activist. And your persistence and your recommendation to go to the Gun Rights Policy Conference in 15 is my turning point. Meeting huh. other activists was like, okay, I understand it now. Being in that room was, uh, was a half, it was an event. So, uh, and then knowing what I had available, resources that was out there in 2015, you know, knowing the, the playing field and knowing what was needed, I was, you know, I understood what I needed to do. So, uh, and cool. that was all 100%. Charles is just consistent uh, uh, awareness of Second Amendment issues in his shows and in real life, being at the 
gun shows and uh, Arizona Citizens Arizona Citizens Defense League growing organically the way it did uh, and, and authentically. It wasn't growing as a membership scam that also did some stuff to justify itself. It did stuff, and then people supported it because they were getting so much stuff done. And that it's been. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's an awesome experience having lived in Arizona around that, being, being able to, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if that wasn't there to foster it. You know, I'd have, I would have no interest in just being a, a, a thing that does show and tell or something. Yeah, you know, um, you really, activism ultimately is just work. <laughs> it's, it's not sexy. It's, it's showing up at a gun show and setting up at a table and, pitching people about being a member and then supporting an organization that goes to the legislature and, and does stuff with the, with the members money and with their, and, you know, basically Dave Kopp has devoted his life to lobbying for the right to keep and bear arms. It's all he does. And uh, we made a deal with Dave that he wouldn't lobby for anybody else. He would just lobby for us. And, um, you know, we paid him to do it and he did it. And that's become his whole career for the, this portion of his life since AZCDL was formed. It's not sexy and it's not romantic and it doesn't pay a lot of bills. It just is the right thing to do. Right on, perfect words to end it. Uh, I'll yep. run some commercial stuff, but stick around and we can say hey before, you know, once I click the end button here, but I'll, I'll say here. thanks to everybody again who showed up this evening and for those who might listen to it in the future. GearWebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at GearWebsites.com. Tonight's episode, The Endangered Species. The guys and gals at GunWebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice once a month, and carry every day. Thank you for watching gunwebsites.com. Oh, dang, I should have had the original. Charles did the original one of those audios for me, sitting in that same chair that he's sitting in right now. I don't have that one up on here. I'll have to go get that one and record it up here and push it up here. Okay, I'll mend it in now.